Hello, everyone. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. Welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics, where we take a book or something from philosophy, theology, and open it up with you to do a little book club and break it down uh, so that uh, you can have the confidence to, to walk through that, that book that's been collecting dust in your bookshelf. But man, <laughs> does it look pretty. We, we definitely don't have any of those books sitting at, at our house. Um, uh, so today, we're going through uh, Principle 5 of Nancy Piercy's Finding Truth. Five principles for unmasking atheism, secularism, and other God substitutes. And so uh, we we just got done with the fourth one, which was uh, to do an internal critique to see if uh, uh, these uh, worldviews, these reductionist worldviews, can stand up to their themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, we saw, can they explain the uh, external world? And because they're reductionistic, uh, most, uh, or uh, if not all, uh, non-Christian worldviews uh, will reduce things like reason um, free will, uh, humanity in some capacity. Principle two, we looked at the fact that um, uh, that, they are that, that they are reductionistic, yeah. and especially when it comes to, uh, to humanity. Mm-hmm. And the first one was, of course, identify the idols. So yeah. there's the the step backwards. <laughs> you know, if you know something backwards, you know it forwards too. That's so, right. Right. and so uh, this one is uh, is the replace the idol, make the case for Christianity. Probably, maybe. Probably one of the most important thing you, yeah. you've you've broken them down. They're 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 weeping at at, at your feet, <laughs> and now what, what do you give them? Well, you give them hope, and so that's what we'll be covering today. Um, we'd like to thank uh, our Patreon uh, sponsor. We we've got one. So uh, Becca and Lauren from uh, Tulips and Honey. We appreciate the the five dollars, and uh, you can go to patreoncom cave to the cross for. Um, the different tiers, and uh, we'll be putting more and more stuff on there, including uh, a, a book review that I did of Joyce Myers with Lauren. And so, uh, if you want to see me suffer, uh, feel free to uh, to hop on there, and um, and all, all proceeds go directly back into the show. So, thank you for uh, uh, doing that if you uh, so choose. If not, we'll continue uh, plugging away at uh, Nancy Pierce's book. And uh, she titles this chapter, Those Freeloading Atheists. <laughs> and so um, she, she uh, begins her uh, uh, chapter here with, um, with the mention that, um, that a worldview is not the same thing as theology. A worldview applies theological truths to fields such as philosophy, science, education, entertainment, and politics. Right. So it's kind of the screen that we look and view those things in, right? We interpret... Right. Um, world through this the screen of our worldview right right and and you can do this with with other kind of lesser uh worldviews as well if, if someone has a a worldview that uh is predominantly a political you can see how they view things like education or science or funding or uh the environment uh through that lens and so uh because we're christians and because uh, we believe that christianity is a uh super meta uh you know worldview of 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 everything including our politics uh, including whatever else there might be that's what uh initially uh, gets us off on the foot when we look at things like uh, the world uh science uh reason logic uh, uh morality all, all that stuff so that's why we um th- that's that's why the distinction is to be made versus theology the study of god and and how god applies t- uh, to Himself and how, how it applies to our uh, living uh, within the scope of Christianity itself, and then also the worldview, how it applies 
those truths that we learn about, especially in scripture, to fields such as philosophy, science, education, entertainment, politics. Right. So part of what she's doing here, especially with regard to the critiques, is really critiquing non-Christian worldviews, mm-hmm. critiquing how they view the world, right? Does the worldview match our experience of uh, what's going on in the world? Does it um, meet its own criteria in terms of what it says, you know, the world is like? And, and so, um, so yeah, we could say that part of this is a worldview critique. Right, right. right. And to also make the, the strongest case possible for uh, a critique that doesn't fold in upon itself and that explains everything that we see in the world. And so she uh, goes on to principle number five, replace the idol, make the case for Christianity. Says the Christian message will be more, most relevant when it articulate when it is articulated at the specific points where people recognize the flaws and failures of their own worldview, and uh, we we've done that in uh, principle three, where we say that uh, worldview outcomes that they uh, that uh, the, the the proponents of those uh, competing worldviews view uh, the outcomes as alien or repugnant outcome th- that they themselves cannot live with. And with principle four, again, uh, uh, seeing if, if they can live within um, their, their own makeup, uh, we could say that reductionists cannot live within the confines of their own worldview box. And so they smuggle in ladders from the Christian worldview to climb out of that box. So, <laughs> so they, 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 they want things like um, access to uh, equal rights or uh, the fact that uh, you can trust uh, what's going to happen today is going to be what it's like tomorrow. Right. Um, and so all those things root the uniformity itself. Uniformity of nature. Right. right. It, yeah. they, they root itself in, in the Christian message, in the Christian ideal. And so uh, that's what we'll be going into uh, more in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly as it sounds, the Christian worldview is so appealing that even those who reject it borrow from it, whether consciously or unconsciously. They are showing us where their own worldviews break down and at the same time what they find most appealing about Christianity. These provide strategic starting points for framing a biblical worldview attuned to the question of our days. So uh, if you're having a conversation with someone and they're focusing on something like uh, morality and they're saying uh, that, uh, that they have a belief that, uh, you know, what's, what's not always true for you is, is true for, for others and that um, you should be more um, uh, willing to accept other points of view. Well, that's a great point for the Christian worldview in the fact that you should be more tolerant of others in the sense that uh, you should listen to them. You should give them equal, equal uh, uh, weight uh, that you shouldn't uh, misalign them to to what they're saying. And that's all founded in in the Christian worldview. And that's your starting point. That's, that's the thing to hone in on. You don't have to pull evolutionary thought and say, you know, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, Neanderthals. Well, no, let's, let's focus on the morality that they're wanting to bring to the, to the equation show them where their own philosophical starting point is lacking in their ability to take that stance and then bring about the Christian worldview of what they really are wanting to talk about. Good. And so that's kind of where she moves to in the next section here. She asked the question, can a moral relativist oppose, for instance, racism, right? Um, <clears throat> the moral relativists argue that there is no universal timeless moral law, right? It's kind of based on culture or perhaps even the individual, but there's nothing that crosses over, right, uh, to, to various cultures and that sort of thing. So there's no universal moral law. And um, 
She says, yet they are likely to turn around and insist that acts like racism or abuse are wrong. That is, they're not just unpleasant, but right. they are personally or personally offensive, but they're genuinely wrong, right? And so, um, and so, you know, the, the issue is how can they hold that view? The best or the most they can say is it's wrong for, by, by society standards mm-hmm. or it's wrong by my individual standards. But uh, why should I care about your individual right. standards, yeah. right? Yeah. I have my own individual we sh- standards. We should be inclusivists right? yeah. and include all, all points of view. Right. <clears throat> and so uh, she says, more relativists may claim to be about tolerance and hum- uh, humility, but in reality, it, it often f- uh, fosters a highly judgmental, condemning attitude because, you know, if you would say, no, something is wrong that they don't agree with, then, you know, uh, they have to uh, express that disagreement. Once they do that, their their position fails. Right. Um, she says. So what about Christianity? Right. She says instead, uh, the Christian worldview fits who we are, <clears throat> because humans are made in the image of God. They are hardwired with an intrinsic moral sense. So that's where the moral sense comes from. Right. We are made in the image of God, and so as as part of image bearers. Right. We have uh, an intrinsic um, uh, feeling for, or more than that, an intrinsic knowledge of what's right and wrong. Right. And, and Paul even says that unbelievers in, in Romans chapter 2 mm-hmm. know the law because it's written in their heart. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so as image bearers, that's where, that, that's the, our source in terms of knowledge. Right? Of course, the source of morality comes ultimately from God, right? his character who he is, but that's our source. And so Christianity uh, can meet this issue with regard to a universal moral code, right? It's based on the character and person of God. Right. And we know it because we're image bearers and he has written that in, in our hearts. Right. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> that's, um, so this is a point as Patrick was mentioning of, of contact that we can make mm-hmm. with, with these kinds of folks, right? We can point this out and then help them to see how our worldview uh, better fits the facts. And that's how you critique a worldview. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Secondly, issue that she deals with is skeptics, right? Uh, epistemological skeptics or skeptics about knowledge. And uh, she says, on the one hand, they claim that we cannot be sure of anything. Uh, but on the other hand, they're likely to insist that science, for instance, has proven uh, their favorite theories, right. right? Well, obviously you can't have it both ways, right? right? Yeah, and I will say that uh, if if you're if you've been on the internet and you've you've watched the uh, internet and Christian um, um, debates, uh, Matt Dillahunty is famous for this. Uh, well, I I don't know what's true. You don't know what's true, and yet here's all this evidence about truth or, or things that we know. I don't even know what supernatural means. Every time someone We're in the talks same about boat. supernatural, natural distinction, it's so arbitrary. Ex- I don't know. Except what that you're asserting it's non-material, which I would say is supernatural. So then, is quantum entanglement supernatural because it doesn't happen in space-time? It violates the speed of light. I, I don't know. Is consciousness supernatural? I don't know. Well, then there you go. If you're just going to say I don't know, I'm going to say that. And, and I'm, I'm not just saying I don't know. I'm saying I don't know and you don't either, but you seem to be claiming that you do. How do you know I don't know? I don't know that you don't know. Well, what don't I'm say saying that. is that your argument for why you know is flawed. How? Because saying something is the best explanation that we have 
we know that the fact that something is the best explanation we have doesn't mean it has any con there's any likelihood that it's actually true or that it is the the best explanation we will ever have. It's possible, yeah. And so it's that have your cake and eat it too yeah. type deal yeah. where where uh, he can get off it by saying, "Oh, that's your explanation. Well, that's wrong because you can't possibly know that. Uh, you, you need you need this uh, this kind of like complete certainty of, of mm. everything that you you could possibly." Um, so so the no. problem, yeah, the problem with that is if indeed you're claiming that my explanation is wrong and you're also claiming that you don't know what the truth <laughs> is, how can you right. do that, right? right? Yeah, and so he, he, he's synonymous with, with never having pre to be able to present something that's, that's uh, a positive case for it, so. Except yeah. the, the case that he knows that your position isn't, that the position that there's no positive case is the right <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, and so you know so skeptics on the one hand claim that you know they're not sure on the other their favorite theories are backed by science she says uh, but in practice right um, they probably check their bank accounts to verify that the figures are correct mm -hmm. right? right because you know i want to make sure i have the money in my bank account well Okay. How do you know? <laughs> no, money is just like intangible. Nothing really is worth anything. So notice the move that she's made here. She's moved from this high intellectual type of critique now to bring it down to, uh, for instance, here, money, right? Practical issues. And so that's a... A, a technique that we can use in apologetics, right? Yeah. Uh, we we don't we don't want to necessarily keep it at the high intellectual yeah. level. What we is wanna, your metaphysical starting yeah, point for yeah. all this? We want to bring it down and and apply it to everyday life, so that we can see how these various positions yeah. uh, deal with everyday life. Right? right? If the if the skeptic says I cannot know, then why are you checking your bank account? <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. you can't know, right? Uh, and so she says, in short, they live and act as though they do have access to, genu uh, to genuine knowledge, right? No matter how skeptical someone is, some things are virtually impossible to doubt, at least in practice. Right. right? And so, um, so they have to act as if the Christian epistemology, that is the Christian view of knowledge, is true, that we can know. They have to act that way in everyday, in, in everyday um, living. Right. But you can't live, you know, life, quite frankly, without borrowing, as you suggested, borrowing from the Christian worldview. Right. Yeah, and no one takes their car and, and approaches the railroad tracks where the, the signal's down. They see the train heading uh, what appears to be towards, <laughs> towards them. And they're just like, well, you know, right now I don't believe in physicality so i'm just or, or maybe here. i don't know if it's yeah. true i don't know train. if there's other minds and so <laughs> this is what's happening i'm the only mind there and so the train's just going to pass through me yeah but no no one honestly lives uh in that it's, if they did yeah. they wouldn't live very long yeah. right <laughs> or or I, I like her 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 joke on uh, 223 if anyone does deny these basic facts we call them insane yeah. or a philosopher <laughs> yeah <laughs> So uh, so the fact that everyone has to function as though Christianity is true opens a creative opportunity, she tells us, for addressing the secular world, right? Christians, uh, Christianity provides the basis for the way uh, that humans can't help uh, behaving anyway. Can't right? help. Right. Must do. That's yeah. right. In making the case of, of the biblical worldview, a strategic uh, place to start is by showing that it Excuse me. It alone gives a basis for the ways we all have to function, no matter which worldview we hold. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, 
And as she's done so well within this book, I mean, it, j- just having the quotes alone from people on the other side of who she's quoting um, is is impressive. And so uh, she continues that, that onslaught here of just letting people speak for themselves and speak truthfully and honestly. So one challenge to build uh, building a case for Christianity <coughs> is the principles underlie so much of our shared culture that we no longer recognize them as distinctively biblical. So, uh, you know, and, and I've done this on the show before is I say uh, the Western world. Well, how was the Western world built? And, and shaped and formed over the past, you know, 2000 years. And so, uh, you know, if, if you want to be even more charitable, you go back to, you know, Greco Romans and, and you, you, you bring in, you bring in a lot of those factors and you talk about democracy, but, um, honestly, when, when, when Christianity enters and, and, um, starts becoming a stranglehold on the pagan, you know, world and, um, uh, in, in the Bible, it says that, uh, that, these men turned the world upside down. Uh, I mean, they did. I mean, you know, you, you have a cultural revolution occurring just by people carrying out uh, beliefs from their worldview. And it wasn't, you know, always by force or the point of a gun. It was just people uh, living and working uh, um, as, as they saw the truth revealed to them in scripture. Mm-hmm. And she'll go on to talk about that as well. Um, but, but, Currently, we have, and and we might even be going away from this uh, at the at the time of this uh, this taping, of, of just how uh, far we're we're going away from that uh, from from that uh, kind of general truth that uh, that people want to keep placing a a, a toe tack uh, <laughs> in, but not not stray too far from it. Uh, but uh, for example, Westerners often pride themselves on holding noble ideals such as equality and universal human rights. Yet, ironically, we see in early chapters the dominant worldviews of our day deny the reality of human freedom and give no basis for moral ideals such as human rights. And so uh, she's uh, going to go through and, and point out uh, uh, some, some of these things that, that uh, we see. So, for example, equal rights. 19th century philosopher Alexi de Tocqueville. I had to look that up just to make sure I was going to pronounce it correctly. So some people say de Tocqueville. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, he's a French philosopher, uh, said that the most profound uh, geniuses of Roman Greece never came up with the idea of equal rights. Uh, Jesus Christ had to come to earth to make it understood that all members of the human species are naturally alike and equal. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche uh, said another Christian concept has passed even more deeply into the tissue of modernity, the concept of the equality of souls before God. Christianity that overthrew ancient social hierarchies between rich and poor, masters and slaves. According to the Christian, uh, according to Christianity, we were all brothers on the same level as creatures of God, of uh, fairy uh, rights. Uh, look, fairy. So there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's you know, slave-free, yeah. Scythian, whatever. Right? right. We're all one in Christ. Christianity is the first universalist <clears throat> ethos, and th- these are you know uh, uh, devout atheists uh, um, giving credit where credits due. Uh, Richard Rortree, who's a committed Darwinist, uh, and in the Darwin struggle for existence, the strong will prevail while the weak are left behind. That's, you know, the survival of the fittest. So evolution cannot be the source for universal human rights. In fact, it seems to almost get in the way of Mm. of things if if you want to make a a, a point for it. Uh, However, might makes right for evolution, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, the strongest survives, right? Yeah, you you, you almost have to bring in a Christian worldview in order to, to... argue the opposite from it. Religious uh, claims, he says, that humans beings are made in the image of God, and he cheerfully admits that he borrows this concept of universal rights from Christianity. He even calls himself a 
freeloading atheist, <laughs> which is, you know, at least he's, you know, saying that he's stealing from it. Uh, the Jewish and Christian elements in our tradition is gratefully invoked by freeloading atheists like myself. And um, he goes on to say that, um, uh, that um, I'm sorry, that uh, she goes on to say that there are things like uh, the American Declaration of Independence, hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. Uh, that has to uh, be formed within uh, a Christian worldview in order to understand that. Mm-hmm. Yes, not every founding father was a uh, devout Christian of, you know, the highest order, some of them some of them. I thought it was okay to, to change God's word um, in, in what they were giving out. Uh, but ultimately it was rooted in the, the, um, the cultural center of, of Christianity of, of, of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, atheists often denounce uh, Christianity as harsh and negative, but in reality it offers a much more positive view of the human person than any competing religion or worldview. It is so appealing that adherence to other worldviews keep reloading the parts they like best, right. which is great for us because mm-hmm. again, we can use, we can use those points as entry into giving them the, pretty much the gospel presentation. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her next issue is science. And she asked the question, what makes science possible? Right. And she says that, um, you know, uh, the common stereotype is that religion and science are at war. Yeah. Right? Right. That's, that's, uh, that's what people commonly believe. But she says that historians have turned that stereotype uh, on its head. Yeah. Right? For example, the laws of nature, right? This whole idea of the laws of nature. She says today that idea is so familiar that it strikes us as a common sense. Yet, historians tell us, she mentions, that no other culture, East or West, ancient or modern, came up with the concept of laws of nature. It appeared only in Europe during, during the Middle Ages a period when Western culture was thoroughly uh, permeated by Christian assumptions. Yeah, right? about that. Yeah, so I'm now, and she does make the, 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 she does mention that, of course, all societies have recognized cause and effect patterns, mm-hmm, sure. right? Uh, but the difference is that they regarded these patterns as merely practical rules of thumb. The intrinsic order of nature itself was thought to be inscrutable uh, to the human mind. And, and so um, when people do not think that there are rational laws behind natural phenomena, then why go looking? For right. Why? Yeah. So, so if, if, if you have this understanding of a, um, a transcendent God uh, who orders the universe, who, who the, that science uh, follows these, these precepts, these laws that, that he's put in place, that reason and logic are um, the, the way that uh, God thinks and that uh, morality uh, can be found through uh, a, a general understanding in general revelation, and then uh, most specifically within uh, the confines of scripture, um, you're more likely to go look for it. You know, if, if you believe that uh, that uh, you're driving through Utah and you see, um, you know, uh, uh, sandstone, uh, you might go over with a pickaxe and start looking for dinosaur bones because you're expecting in that type of environment in that in that region to to find dinosaur bones. But if you don't believe that dinosaurs ever existed, you would never go looking for it. The same thing is, is being made the case here. You're not going to go looking for laws because uh, this comes from this, but you know th- that's a cause and effect uh, that, that uh, people are bringing in. Right. Yeah, good. So she gives, again, a couple of examples. Uh, so let's just kind of look at one here. Paul Davies, the philosopher, mm-hmm. she says that he makes the same point um, 
Um, all the early scientists, like Newton, were religious in one way or another, he writes. They saw their science as a means of uncovering uh, traces of God's handiwork in the universe, right? Oh, no, no. They were just <laughs> explaining away the God of the gaps. That, that's, all, that's all they were doing. Yeah. And so uh, in, doing, in doing science, they supposed, uh, Davies goes on to say, one might be able to glimpse the mind of God. An audacious claim, she says. But she says um, uh, a claim that remains a central underpinning for the scientific enterprise right to our day. Science still has to assume that the world has an intelligible order, right? We have to assume that it's an orderly yeah. in order to begin to study it, right? Or else, again, why study it? Yet the materialist and naturalist worldview cannot account for that order, right? It is. Uh, it comes by chance, you know. Not order, but by chance, according to their worldview. So if the universe is the product of non-rational processes, why does it have a rational order? If the universe is not the product of a mind, why is it comprehensible to human mind? Right? Why can we understand it? Right? And so she says, uh, Davy writes, Davies writes, uh, nobody asks where they uh, where these uh, various underlying principles come from. At least they do not uh, do so in uh, polite company. However, even the most atheistic scientist uh, accepts as an act of faith, he says, <laughs> that there is a rational basis to uh, uh, physical existence manifests as a law-like order in nature. So science requires this act of faith, mm -hmm. right, is the point she's trying to make. So what is that faith based on? Well, Davies says that uh, science can proceed only if the scientist adopts an essential, here it is, theological worldview, right? So in short, every uh, atheist has to adopt a biblical worldview to pursue all science, right? And so uh, at war, no. <laughs> right? right. They are intricately, rela yeah. intricately related to Complimentary. Yeah. yeah. Again, uh, the higher order uh, fulfills the needs of the, the lower order. Yeah. We believe in an, uh, a, a God who supersedes uh, creation, uh, but he's created uh, um, uh, the world, the universe, in such a way that uh, uh, we get to have a relationship with him with a proper understanding of who he is and the world around him. Mm -hmm. Uh, so things like uh, God uh, um, communing with Adam and telling him, uh, don't eat the apple, uh, is is a, uh, a specific revelation. But then uh, the, the, the effect from the a, cause. I thought it was a pear. Yeah. Uh, berries. Berries. <laughs> berries may be berries. Whatever, whatever fruit. Berry. Whatever fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so you, you, you have, you have um, a, a God who, who um, says that there will be um, – uh, Rules and then uh, from those rules will come uh, certain causes and effects. So um, we we will expect to, to be able to know those things. And you know, if this universe is just random chance, then why should we expect to know anything or or find anything? Right. What right. what are we looking for? And so if we really don't expect to do that based on our worldview, then why would we attempt to do that? Mm -hmm. right? And so why do science at all? Is right. The issue? Yeah. Yeah. We only can, we only are motivated to do science because we believe the world is in a, a particular kind of world. And that kind of world concept doesn't come out of the materialistic worldview, right? That is a Christian concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, do, do any atheists, do any materialists have uh, a, a, um, 
an ability to kind of look at their own uh, viewpoint and call it reductionistic, like like Nancy Piercy does. Well, in fact, uh, John Gray, uh, a uh, an atheist, uh, when he's talking with other atheists, logically points out materialism leads to reductionism, the conclusion that humans are nothing but animals. But most materialists do do not want to accept that bleak conclusion. They want to grant human humanity a higher status and dignity. They want to believe that humans have consciousness, selfhood, and free will. Gray writes, uh, the, the high view of humanity he labels humanism, and he, he denounces it as a prime example of freeloading. Hmm. Humanists never tire of preaching. <laughs> Darwin has shown us that we are animals, and therefore the idea of free will does not come from science. Its origins are in religion, not just any religion, though, but the Christian faith against which humanists rail so obsessively. Hmm. So it's uh, humanism is only a secular version of Christian principles. He goes on to say, so we could say that humanists do not want to live within the confines of their own materialist mock. They smuggle in Christianity. And so that's what we want. So again, they'll, they'll get you to the, the, you know, from, from molecules demand, you know, that, 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 you know, there's a social hierarchy embedded within our nature um, but ultimately all we are is animals. And so who cares about what, what our nature <laughs> might, might have been or right. be, um, you know, why should we follow that? Why should we continue on? Uh, you know, who cares about surviving? But now we have to, uh, to talk about things like, uh, free action within, uh, confines of a universe where I'm, I'm, I'm changing my, my gills into lungs and I, I there's no free will in, in that act. You're just, you're just there. You're doing it. You're just being moved by the various laws <laughs> right. of nature. Yeah. And so what is, what is will, what is will? Will's the kind of this icky mind problem that, that results from a, a consciousness that, that has uh, the ability to, to do that. And so we can have the, that discussion on what exactly is free will. And so, uh, you know, p- people like Scott Christensen, who, uh, I believe episode 13 we interviewed, uh, talks about the uh, uh, proper understanding of free will. Um, those, those are all good things to have, but what's, what's the foundation principle within that? The ability to have uh, true choices in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that with uh, this kind of hum- humanism uh, point of view right. uh, grounded in. Uh, just because the, the laws of nature, either, either it's, it's the laws of nature that are controlling us, but they're based on, you know, um, chance. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, yeah, we don't get that concept there. Um, she gives us another example here, uh, Thomas Nagel. He's the author of Mind and Cosmos. This is a very famous book, actually. Yeah. And um, the subtitle is Why the Materialist Neo-Darwin Concept of Nature is Almost Certainly False, right? And so he, he goes after uh, uh, the Darwinist theory, right? He says it's almost certainly false. Notice, precisely because she mentions, it leads to this reductionism yeah. that she's been talking about, right? And so Nagel is this devout Christian, right? Who, Absolutely who, who, he, not. He, oh. <laughs> right? He's an atheist. Okay. He doesn't believe in God, right? This really undercuts our, our example then. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he, here's an example. Consider the lowly pocket, uh, pocket calculator. Tap in three uh, plus five or five plus three, and the number eight appears on the screen. Right. So notice she says the figure eight uh, pattern of pixels may be explain, uh, explainable in purely physical terms as the uh, pulse of electrons traveling through the microchip um, uh, 
gates. Sure. But Nagel argues that there is no reductionistic explanation of how the calculator was programmed to produce the eight in the first place. That requires, he says, the intention of the designer, right? And so you have to have a mind. You have to have a, a intention, uh, you know, uh, intentions, purpose, that sort of thing, right? Uh, in order for to, to program this to do what it's what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can reduce everything into the electrochemical processes or whatever, right? Or how the electrons flow through the, the little machine, but uh, that really does. That's one level of an explanation, but it really doesn't explain the machine was there in the first place right. to accomplish the purposes uh, that it accomplishes. Right. You can show me eight things, but you can't show me the number eight. Right. And so yeah. eight seems to have this uh, this non-physical Universal. dimension. Yeah. 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 So she says, obviously, that Nagel, who is an atheist, as we mentioned, oh, is uh, is alluding to a divine uh, designer when he makes these kinds of claims, right? She says something more is, is needed to explain, uh, for instance, um, moral and human scientific knowledge. And Nagel argues that an evolutionary concept of the mind undercuts, notice, our confidence in the objective truth of moral beliefs, right? As well as the objective truth of our mathematical or scientific reasoning. So notice that the, the, this particular worldview doesn't allow for those things, or at least, as he says, it uh, undercuts our confidence in the objectivity of mathematics and ethics, right? Um, yet Nagel says that we cannot just give up our knowledge in these areas. Why not? Because the knowledge is based uh, ultimately on common sense and on what is plainly undeniable. And, of course, this is his cognitive dissonance. Sure. Right? We can't, it's like this, it doesn't fit our worldview, but we can't give it up. Yeah, we well, have to live as, as if it's true, even though our worldview says it can't possibly exist right. this way. We, we don't want these outcomes uh, that stem from our understanding. We do want these outcomes that we really don't like because they're icky because they point to a designer. And all these things do kind of point to a designer, but we can't have that. Right. right. Why? Because we can't, we can't have that. We just can't have that. <laughs> right. So, so, and that's the question she asks, right? So, obviously, Nagel, who is an atheist, then has a great practical, logical explanation for this, right? Yep. This is what she says. Here's his explanation. Having rejected God, however, what alternative does Nagel propose? Nothing at all. Well, no. I mean, he's got to have something, right? Like, he says, quote, my aim is to present the problem rather than to propose a solution. Right. right? All right. Well, great. Well, we have a gee, solution for gee, you, thanks. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. He, he throws the grenade in the party. It explodes. <laughs> he walks out. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Nagel, she says, in an, is an eye-opening example of an atheist who is desperately trying to maintain both sides of a severe cognitive dissonance. Right? Nagel is trying to... Ref- retain the benefits of a Christian worldview while he uh, rejects the basis of Christianity. Right. right. Um, so I think that's where we'll stop today uh, and, and probably next time finish up the remaining of the chapter. Uh, we'll, we'll, this will be um, uh, part uh, two of her fifth principle. <laughs> and then from there, uh, we'll go into, um, into the final chapter. Um, that one might be one or two um, uh, episodes as well. Uh, but we're getting close to the end as well. So, uh, again, still time to uh, pick up the book. It was on sale uh, at the time of this recording uh, for super, super cheap, uh, a buck forty-nine or something like that on, on 
Kindle deals, uh, go down to uh, Cave to the Cross Apologetic, uh, Cave to the Cross.com, which is our site for Cave to the Cross Apologetics, uh, where um, you'll see book deals like that from uh, me posting those up um, and other goodies that uh, you might want to pick up and uh, spend way too much money. But, uh, <laughs> th- you know, they're digital, so they won't take up any room in, in your library. So you just can't look at them. You'll have to look at them on the screen for the cover photos. Uh, so, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for um, uh, uh, watching, listening. Uh, whatever you might, uh, however you might be consuming this, uh, and we'd we'd always love to hear from from you to see uh, what you think of the book, what you think of uh, the stuff that we post. Uh, if there's anything you'd like to add, uh, we'd we'd uh, love to interact with that. So uh, you can find us on all the social media platforms, which uh, are available on our website as well. So thank you, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.